0: Because artists are so intent on fulfilling their creative visions, having a spiritual element, and communicating something larger than themselves. Uh, the idea of selling out is kind of like once they hand me a check, but now I have to adhere to what they want. Like, I can't just make whatever based on what I envision, but I have to just make something that they're happy with, which can be limiting, which can be constraining.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Dollar a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being.
2: I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars.
1: And I'm Garrett Philbin, founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. As money coaches, we want to give you a space to explore your relationship with money, the guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo.
2: In this episode, we sit down with Jackie Lamb, a freelance writer and advocate for creatives and artists. We talk about her relationship with money and the perceived conflicts artists feel around selling out and the starving artist mentality. We also dig into how artists can shift their mindset and perception and make a living doing what they love.
1: To find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co.
2: All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Hey, Jackie, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I, we invited Jackie on because she just has so much experience and and actually really open about her relationship with money. And here on Beyond the Dollar, we're all about that. So let's start off with the first question, Jackie. What has your relationship been with money?
0: So my relationship with money, it's a complicated relationship for a lot of reasons, I uh, grew up in a household where my mom uh, was a single parent. And so she worked two full-time jobs, uh, raising me and my brother. And we lived in like subsidized housing for a little bit. So for me, money was always like a source of trouble, of conflict, uh, especially because my parents were split up and you know my mom had to take my dad to court. It got really ugly. And you know, it was just hard to just keep on top of bills uh, for lots of things. So from an early age, I experienced some like, Kind of tough associations with money. Like, so money has never been like a positive, happy place. So, uh, with that in mind, I I think when I was a teenager and I opened my first bank account, I think when I was maybe sixteen, I, I wanted to overcome my my fear of money because I was terrified of it for a lot of reasons, uh, as mentioned, because I saw how much trouble it was uh, for adults around me, not just my mom, but like. Relatives, you know, you, you see firsthand how not having control of your finances or not having enough each month can really hurt you. So I just uh, kind of became a money nerd before I knew what a money nerd was. Just meticulously uh, tracking my spending, coming up with spreadsheets, finding ways to just be in better control of my money. Um, and these days, I would say I have a healthier relationship with money. But it hasn't been perfect. Like, do it's due for me to get a new car. It's it's time I have my f- car's. It's fifteen years old. I've had it since college, and about a month or two ago, I took it to the mechanic, and he's like, "Okay, I have some news for you. There's some boo boos, whatever that means." And the you know you're gonna have to pay. <laughs> yeah, he said boo boos. He's like, "Oh, big boo boos." <laughs> Seventeen hundred dollars in in auto just in repairs, and I was like, "Oh, dang!" So. Um, I had been saving for a while, actually, because I knew it was coming. My car is old. It's it's 15 years old this year. Uh, so I had been saving for a while. So I have a sizable down payment for if I wanted to, but I just can't bring myself to spend money. And I don't know if you're familiar with Amanda Clayman. She's a, yeah, she's a financial coach. And I, I did a talk with I just helped her with some research. And I think she has two spectrums she uses, like how, I think one is your emotional relationship with money. And then you're like, I think maybe foresight or how you feel about the future. So she's like, yeah, Jackie, you fall squarely within the wary analytical category, which means like I'm a miser and I just have the worst problem spending money. And I think Sarah, you can relate to this. <laughs> You've had <laughs> yeah. discussions about getting you to go to conferences and stuff. But... um, so that's where I'm at. So it's like, I am good at saving. I'm really good at being frugal. Uh, but I just have problems spending it, which sounds like a champagne problem, but it's, I think it can be a problem nonetheless. If, if you, uh, agree with me, <laughs>
2: no, I, I totally agree. And, and just for some background, Jackie and I talk quite a lot about money and we talk quite a lot about our fear of spending money. And she's been very instrumental in helping me invest in my um, my business and so a very recent investment that i made was actually flying to new york for a conference which it took me months to decide which it shouldn't have but it did
1: yes and it's interesting when you say that it shouldn't have but you know jackie as you're telling your story right it's it's very apparent that the environment that you grew up in really helped create what your relationship is to money now and so i'm curious with um Kind of how you've gotten better and you've grown past some of those issues So just what you think is still keeping you from being able to spend money on yourself or being able to have conversations with Sarah and help her process that, um, and yet still find it hard for yourself to be able to go and, and do the same thing.
0: For sure, yeah. It's as you know, it's so much easier to help someone else out with your
1: problems. Than oh, with your own. It's, always, it's always, worst, always. Right?
0: You're the worst critic. You you can be your worst enemy. Um, it has been a long, it's been hard. Like I, My partner right now, he's actually been helping me, like push me along with with getting me to spend more, which sounds funny. Um, just going back to my childhood, another thing that really was troubling was my parents have different viewpoints with money, like super different ways of handling money. My dad is very frugal, very almost to the point of being miserly. Uh, he's just a good saver. Uh, he still drives the car I drove in high school Believe it or not, so and he, you know, and my mom was someone who was very generous with money. So she could never say she never wanted to say no, even though she didn't have the money. So from that point, I, I was I was conflicted with money from an early age, and I still have that conflict within me. It's almost like a little devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, or bipolar way of looking at things. Um, and I've, I've thought about what has helped me with money. Um, Amanda claimed and she gave good advice of actually being frivolous but safe about being frivolous. So, meaning having like a savings account just for splurging or just for a joy, like a joy fund. You know, this is money I can liberally spend on whatever I want to spend on, whether it's going on a trip or maybe even investing in yourself or your career, uh, like going to a conference in Sarah's case, or just you know, I just want to have a party. Maybe I want to spend 500 bucks and have fun with my friends. And another thing has been abundance. I think thinking, having that abundance mentality, which is hard because I grew up with scarcity mentality. Uh, I still do. Like I think last week, my, my boyfriend drinks a lot of those like energy drinks. So I started, uh, like, oh, let me like collect the cans. I'm like, why am I collecting cans? Like, what am I going to go to like the recycling center and get a dollar? It's weird, right? How these deeply ingrained habits and money scripts stay with you, but uh, knowing that uh, actually from freelancing, because I've been able to earn a lot more freelancing than I did in my old job, uh, has shown that I have the capability of making money, and potentially as much money as I, you know, infinite amount of money, so to speak, you know, well, more than I could at a day job, how about that, (laughs) has really helped me um, be a little bit more relaxed a little more relaxed, not a lot, but, uh, about spending and being okay with it. But I still have trouble with big purchases like a car because something would come up. Like I might have to move. Actually, they might be tearing down my apartment complex. And so that brings up big questions for me. Like, okay, I live in Los Angeles and as you know, it's a very unaffordable housing market and rental market. So I'll be paying more in rent. Uh, and I'm like, oh wait, should I buy a house? So that's another big question. So there's things that like kind of trip you up. Like I have the money saved for a car, but it's just so hard for me to to give myself the yes, the green, the green light on on making a big purchase. Small purchases aren't as hard, but big purchases are something else. There's something mentally blocking with those large purchases.
2: I, it's so interesting, and I a lot of my clients and, and even myself, we have this. Conflict. Like we know we can spend money. Like we see evidence of an inner bank account, or we're better with money, but then there's these scripts from our childhood that are holding us back. So it's really interesting to hear that there's this conflict, even though logically you know what steps to take.
1: And that is something that comes up a lot um, in conversations, whether it's with clients or friends, is that there's this knowing, knowing that I should be able to do this, right? That the logical thing is to do X, Y, and Z. But I think what is oftentimes lost is that money is not the numbers. I mean, it's called beyond the dollar for a reason, right? Just we're talking beyond numbers and dollars and cents. And just people really need to understand that there is so much that's involved in these patterns and emotions and our behaviors. And we are not logical. We are almost never logical. We're not rational creatures and until we can understand and accept that um, we're going to be fighting against what is nature just because that's not who we are. So it, it's great, Jackie, just to hear your experience of processing this and just being able to start saying like, yeah, what, what is it in my childhood and these stories and patterns that have come up that caused me to act in this way? Um, and it's only once we kind of step back and start asking ourselves those questions and having that stuff come up to our awareness that we can even begin to start dancing with it and, and changing how we're reacting.
2: For
0: sure. And it's a lot of work, a lot of internal work that I think people may not realize uh, because there's a lot of information out there. I think as financial coaches and personal finance writers, we're keen on this. Like there's a lot of data. There's a lot of information that's accessible now than there was 10 years ago right um but why are we still having problems with debt why are we still having problem saving um and that goes back to as you mentioned sarah the money scripts we had created or that originated from when we were children and that continue you know to progress as we're adults and as you mentioned garrett just the complexity of the relationship we have with money uh, emotions and experiences and uh, perceptions for sure
2: yeah I, I want to bring it back to when you say you're really you really want to help people with their situation because one of the things I really admire about you Jackie is that you're such an advocate for the artists and creative community and you really want to push them to to earn more to negotiate for more and just to try to have a more stress-free freelance life or artist's life so to speak and so I would love for you to speak a little bit about that. Like, what are some of the observations you've made, you know, speaking to artists and creatives about their money or their financial situation?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Sarah. Uh, I've thought a lot about this, as you know, and I realized like a misconception I had and the mistake I made was I would group creatives and artists together uh, because, for obvious reasons, you know, uh, artists and creatives share a lot of the same skills, you know, like you can, you can uh, create an illustration, you can design a brochure, uh, but I've, and they do also share a lot of common money uh, scripts, you know, like, uh, is my work good enough? Does it have enough value to get paid what I think it's worth? Or how do I go about asking money for something I might do for fun? You know, I might write a song for fun. I might uh, do a sculpture or paint. And um, and and just getting beyond, getting past that, understanding your value in the market is really hard. Um, I recently talked to a photographer. I was setting him up for a gig, a very last minute gig, uh, going to uh, photograph some art collectors in Los Angeles, and there wasn't a lot of pay. And I talked to him, and I realized he had never been paid for a gig ever before. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a good opportunity for you. Uh, so, and he was kind of approaching it like, well, I just want to do a good job. And, you know, I just want to hope they're happy with my work. And I was like, whoa, hold on. You sound like you're the sub, like a, a sub of the photography freelancer world, like a submissive, like a slave. I'm like, you got to like position yourself as somebody who has something to offer. Uh and then we talked some more about it, and I was like, you know, maybe you should ask for a rush fee, and he was just like, no, it's okay, I don't mind the money, I just, I just want to have fun. And then I talked to him a little bit later, just to see how it went, he's like, well, I actually didn't get paid at all. I was like, wait, what happened? He's like, well, I had to cancel the second date, so I realized I shouldn't get paid, and then I was like, this is really weird. So I dug a little deeper, and it turns out he wants to be a hobbyist. So he's like, I actually don't want to get paid because I want to own rights to the work. And it just got kind of complicated. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, so there are people out there who are okay not getting paid. But for those who do want to get paid, who do want to work in music or design or writing, um, there there has to be a, an idea of what your, wor- your work is worth. And I think we had talked about this, Sarah. It's Stephanie O'Connell. I think we all know who she is. Mm-hmm. She's, mm-hmm. Uh, Big in the personal finance, money nerd world. But you know, she said, Don't don't think about what you're worth, because that can be tough. But think about what your work is worth. So that like tiny distinction and that wording actually helps tremendously because if you think about it, like your work is worth something of value to others and to the marketplace. Uh, but going back to artists and creatives. I think a difference, main difference, because I am around more artists lately, especially uh, my partners an artist. like the difference between like f- full blown out artists, like musicians or people who are like visual artists, is that uh, they have a different track of how to make money. Because creatives do kind of want to adhere to the guidelines and the standards and the objectives of your clients, but like those hardcore, like 100% artists. They just, they want to make something true to their vision, as you know, and they just hope that the marketplace will, uh, follow suit and see the value and pay them money. So I think it can be like a hundred times more challenging to be like a, hundred percent like a visual artist or a musician, because this, you want to stay true to your vision. And then there's kind of a conflict with, this may be an outmoded, con- uh, Uh, battle but like the whole thing of selling out might be an issue I feel like that's not as important the more artists I I talk to Uh, but also just like hey like I am making something cool it's true to who I am to my uh, artistic visions and I'm hoping it'll be seen by the right people or have the right audience where people are going to give me money for it and it can be a hit or miss as you know if you guys have friends who are artists and uh, the struggle is real like like I think it's just harder to be a true artist as you know uh and and there's also like the stigma of some artists having just like trust fund their trust fund babies or they may be coddled i've actually spoken to art gallery people i'm like because i've been curious about money in art and they're like well some artists are just coddled people i'm like what do you mean they're like well they expect us to give them tons of money like they want people to i was like okay so that can be an issue with that which is different than as we mentioned creatives Uh, and we can get more into the mindset of a creative which is slightly different than a 100% artists or peer artists, I wanna say.
1: I think it would be good just to give like a hard and fast definition of the difference between creative and artists. Mm -hmm. Um, There was some of it in there of artists doing it more um, purely for their craft or so. Yeah. Musicians, um, you had painters, and then creatives being in a slightly different realm, but just for maybe any listeners who aren't really clear on that yeah, distinction. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, artists are just really dedicated to the craft, as you mentioned, um, and to honoring their vision, honoring their intuition, honoring their intent, and not wanting to negotiate on those points necessarily. They may get into fights with clients. They may get fight not fights, but conflicts with gallery people or when they want to work with a brand uh, and, and they usually are, as you mentioned, Garrett. Like painters, sculptors, they could be photographers too. Uh, they're usually visual artists or musicians. Uh, and then creatives are people who share similar skill set. You know, they can be a musician or they can have art artistic skills, but they are tailoring what they do for a specific market. So they want to find clients. You know, like a um, a brand or company that will hire them to make a video, uh, to write a song, to be placed on TV or film or a commercial, or to be a writer like me and Sarah, you know, personal finance writers, uh, we're using our writing skills so we can work for brands, do content marketing, that kind of thing. So they're not so much intent on vision, although there is vision, of course, when you, in, in craft, because there's an element of craft, but they're, they're main. In, intent is just fulfilling, you know, their client's wishes and meeting their goals. Mm-hmm. So this, does that distinction, is that a little more clear?
1: It certainly yeah. helps for me. Yeah. Thanks for thank doing you. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Cause I think there's, you're right. There's such a blurred line and also, I mean, not also almost comes down to semantics and I think it's, thank you for for explaining that. And I'm so glad you brought up the starving artist mentality because Garrett and I were talking a little bit about it, which is why we wanted to invite you on. So let's just talk specifically about artists and not creatives for for a second. So why do you feel like, from your observations, do you think that that starving artist mentality or the whole idea of selling out is still really big in the artist community and why?
0: Yeah, great question. I think it's a big one because Because artists are so intent on fulfilling their creative visions of having a spiritual element, although you can have a spiritual element to anything, but the spiritual element of creating art, having that vision, and communicating something larger than themselves, uh, or they want to change culture. They want to add to the cultural uh, fabric of society. They want to do something large. Uh, the idea of selling out is kind of like, well, somebody's handing me, wants to hand me a check, but now I have to adhere to what they want. Like, I can't just make whatever based on what I envision, but I have to just make something that they're happy with, which can be limiting, which can be constraining. And there are some articles out there and, and some interviews where artists don't feel like selling out is an issue. You know, they feel like somebody handing you money can be a form of validation right? Especially if it's something that is 100% yours. Like, and there's a difference between working on an art piece for, uh, say, a big corporation, or like a big company, they may want a piece of your art versus someone who is a collector, you know, someone who's a collector, just purely loves what you do, is a huge fan, and is going to give you whatever you want for it, or, you know. um, And so, but then some artists are like, selling out is actually stupid, because you want to you want to create jobs for other people. You want to help the economy, and then there are some other artists like my my partner, which I'm you know, and I try not to include him too much because I actually realized I didn't ask him But like, uh, <laughs> sorry, <I'm happy> <laughs> out. But like, he thinks you know, selling out is actually an amateur's thing. Like, like it's like it's like kind of a cop out for you if you don't think you secretly, subconsciously don't think you're good enough. So then you like position yourself as someone who doesn't want to sell out because. It's just you have a fear of stepping up and being, you know, elevating your work and putting yourself out there so it can be lucrative, so you can make money, which is interesting to me because that was something I hadn't thought about before, which is the idea or fear of selling out can be an amateur's concern and not a, a professional artist or like someone who's in it for the long haul or doing it for real.
1: I think it's an excuse A lot of times a mental block, but an excuse, not necessarily with a negative intent behind that word, because if you think about it, an artist, someone who is very intent on putting themselves out there and what they see is the truest representation of themselves, that takes balls like that takes vulnerability that takes like opening up your heart and your soul and saying, this is exactly who I am and I'm going to put it out there and seeing what other people do with it. And I think it's hard A, we all deal with our own money stories and scripts and stuff that we carry with us just as a result of going through the world. And yet I think artists, they face a society that doesn't really value as a whole what they do in the same ways that we value other things. You know, we value people who can code. We value people who can do eye banking. We value people who can create a certain type of value that we see as important to this system. And there just isn't that much of a value. Again, this is a bit of a generalization, but that much value given to art. And so, God, how much vulnerability that must take to like put yourself out there and say, here it is, and then So I can see why it's much easier for people to not even open up and say, well, I don't want to sell out because that then opens up the gateway to rejection and really having to value what you're worth and put it out there in a market that might not really be kind back.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent question you raise about the, Garrett, about vulnerability. And that does take balls and not everyone is willing to step up and be vulnerable. Uh, I think anyone who has written a song or wrote a story or created a, a painting and as you mentioned putting their heart and soul into something and having people think it's stupid or bad or not worth their time is scary yeah for sure and i've noticed that some artists also a lot of artists struggle with valuing like putting figuring out what the value of their work is because how do you place value unless you're a picasso or some you know or a damien hirst or someone huge like like who's to say that that painting is Worth five thousand, or is it worth twenty thousand? And and there's also fear of thinking your work is overvaluing and undervaluing. I think we can really, as creatives, doing the same thing. But in the art world, there is really no standard to that for the most part, Um, especially. And then adding to the fact, as you mentioned, Garrett, the vulnerability aspect is is like super hard, right? Like, I mean, when I I've written fiction and just putting something on Medium is scary. But then like putting it. Making, creating, like writing a book and then asking people for money is like even worse. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) Especially it's something that is purely from a a very, like a very uh, intimate place, a very personal place. And and especially when you're trying to do something very different than other people. Because people love artists. If you go on Instagram or anything, like people love the idea of an artist. They love seeing it. But as you mentioned, especially in the US there are some cult some countries where they value art more and there's like more like art grants there's more of that that's more government but in the US you're right it's it's not valued in the same way as code or even you know something more tangible designing bridges in our society
1: considering that it's not something that's really highly valued here in the states i guess what's your perspective on artists who want to do it for a full-time living, right? So where there is this challenge of wanting to make a full-time living from something that is truly your passion in an environment where that isn't oftentimes highly valued. You know, is it like a do this part-time? Is it do it full-time? I'm just kind of interested in what those conversations are.
0: For sure, Uh, that's a great question. And something I've thought a lot about too, because I think a lot of creatives, you know, people who work in creative industries do harbor artistic passions, right? Like you may be on the side as a hobby, you might paint or draw or uh, write songs. I think the same rules of entrepreneurship would apply to an artist. Uh, People, uh, and I've seen artists who are successful in LA, they share common traits of all the same traits that entrepreneurs share. Uh, First is finding proof of concept. So finding I did a a piece uh, for Artbound on how artists made their first real money. And real money meaning like uh, the first piece of art where they felt like their work was validated. So proof of concept means like somebody is willing to to pay you money or is willing to come to your shows or someone's willing to offer you a place in a group show or even a solo show. Uh, Somebody is willing to come and pay money for a concert ticket or buy your CD. are you getting any nods or any kudos on music sites? I think any kind of proof of validation is important uh, to see if it can be viable as, a, as something you can make money from. Is your Instagram, do you have a lot of Instagram followers? That's another thing. You may not be making a lot, tons of money, but if you're getting like 30,000 people, 100,000 people following you, there's, you're doing something culturally interesting and relevant that people are excited about. Um, another thing is in community. Artists do not live in a silo. They don't live in isolation. The ones who I see are successful, they have really good relationships with anyone from uh, their collectors, prospective collectors, to a gallery, gallerists, curators, with other artists. And it's the same thing as freelancers. You know, we have our little tribes that we can... uh, (laughs) Uh, what was it, Sarah? Uh, neurotic ramblings?
2: Yes. <laughs> like you can go and neurotically
0: ramble <laughs> to each other about commiserate about clients, and they do the same thing. <laughs> like they talk about, uh, is this person good? Is this gallery good to work with? You know, is this uh, sound producer, recording engineer legit? Can yeah, And and they do the same things at Entrepreneur, because artists are entrepreneurs. They're freelancers too, but they just have a different, I think, money track. Uh, another thing I've noticed with, Artists is that they can they, and this is creatives too. They, they, I can do with less. I, I might charge less because I'm doing something amazing for myself. So maybe I don't need as much money. So they sacrifice financial well-being, which I think is wrong. And I want to point to uh, something that's actually trending in the art world, which is really exciting. It's immersive art. So you guys might have heard of uh, pop-up museums, like the Museum of Ice Cream. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is something n- not that because they actually don't like those places because they're not really true museums or real art. Like they're true artists, depending on who, who you speak to. But um, it's it's a – Mel Wolf is a great space, and they're doing a for-profit model. So, you know, there's – artists are usually like, I'm just going to do a residency for the summer. I got a grant. Awesome, but it's usually funded by patrons, and they're actually stepping up and being like, "Hey, there's something that we can do, which is for profit." And if you just Google Mel Wolf and and see what they're doing, they're creating more spaces for artists to make money, to to be have viable livings, which is really exciting because that shifts your of the concept of having to find a patron, having to get a grant or residency to survive or be a teacher, uh, and thinking of, "Hey, I can be do something that's." really viable to the market and still honor my artistic vision and my aspirations, which is pretty awesome. And it's pretty new. They've only been around for, I want to say a couple of years. years, Wolf, and there's going to be more immersive art spaces in uh, some of these cities around the US, which is really in the world. I think they're popping up worldwide.
2: I think that's great. I think that that can be like a universal lesson for any industry or any job is that sometimes you just have to look outside the box or think outside the box and in, in terms of how you can make a living doing what you love or something fun because I think you know thinking back to when I was a teacher people think in the summertime they can take off but then there's a lot of teachers that side hustle like I remember my high school teacher was a school bus not a school bus driver sorry um a tour bus driver and he made a ton of money that way I had an another teacher friend who was a cruise director and so it's just really thinking outside the box that if you're you know if you need to make a livable wage if you're really into your career and it's not providing that for you then there's there has to be some way to to earn more or to not just earn more but to to be more financially savvy or to seek those who are going to help you do that for sure um and that that tribe
0: mentality the I call it a creative powwow, right? Is the people who are going to help elevate you, help you grow, right? Grow personally and professionally because as entrepreneurs, I think we all know that our our personal and professional growth can kind of work in tandem with each other. And especially when you do work alone. Uh, One other thing I, I wanted to mention with the artists who are successful is, as you mentioned, you mentioned promote, promoting yourself is, is that they don't, they don't live at home in a darkened room by themselves. They, they put themselves out there. And I think that speaks true of entrepreneurs too, right? You got to promote yourself, which is an ugly word. I know personal brand is can be an ugly word too, <laughs> but it's essential. You have to push yourself out there because you are a person of one and artists are too. They're their own personal brands and the ones who are successful recognize that as well. And they, they do like yeah, get themselves out there like, hey, I have a show. I have new art. Come to my Society6 site, come to my Shopify, buy a pin, you know, buy a pillow with my design on it.
1: I like how you keep tying it back to entrepreneurship because it's it's so true. And what we all do as entrepreneurs is we, we put ourselves out there in a different way, but it's still putting ourselves and, and our brand and what we have created, right? This identity for ourselves, the service for other people out there, which is, scary and we have to ask people for money for it. But I think at the end of the day, you know we do this because we believe that we're providing value for someone on the other side. And so maybe for artists and other people as well saying like, look, my music is making someone's life better. And I can I mean, I think we all can vouch for like times when we've heard songs right when we needed to. And we're like, damn, like this is incredible. And so believing that you mentioned this earlier, Jackie, but just like believing that what we've created or what we do has value, Both what we've created, which in turn is oftentimes like can't happen unless we see ourselves as having value and believing in our own value. And that just being, um, I, I think, a really important part as well so that it doesn't just feel like, you know, as artists, they're pushing their pin or their CD or their art on people. But this print is going to resonate with someone being able to put this out into the world will make someone's life better in some kind of way it can help reframe that rather than oh my god like please buy my stuff and come to my shop. Like, you know because if sarah and i did that with coaching or you did that with your products like no one would buy it you know we have to say look i have this thing it doesn't even start with me it's like i know that you are struggling with this I know that like this is something that you're going through, or you have this problem that you want to have fixed, or you want to have this need for connection to music or connection to art and to feel like you have someone who can help tell this story that you don't know how to express, but whether through music or through art, some other person can help represent that for you. And like, I have that and here's how I do it. And yes, this is what it costs. But like, if you believe that that is valuable for you, you'll be willing to pay for it. And that's a fair trade in which I also love of that idea of um, those pop ups or not the the anti pop ups, I guess, is what you you called them changing the narrative where it's worth paying for art, where it is now. This is a for profit model. And that's a much longer play. That's a much harder thing to shift is the overall mentality. But I I love that idea of, yeah, and you're going to pay for it. And here's how that model works. And let's see if it does and see if people are willing to start paying and if we can start changing that conversation.
2: I was going to say, I remember when I got paid for my photography, I I remember thinking, because I had the same conflicts as well, and so I would think, well, you know, people go pay $10 to see a movie. That's technically art in a way. And so if millions of people are willing to pay $10 each to watch a movie, there's got to be some sort of value in that. So it doesn't have to be a practical value, although sometimes I think art can be when I shifted my mindset to that, it became a lot easier to charge for, for the photography that I was
0: selling. That's a great point. Um, and shifting that perception, right. Of what I do has value. And, and I think this is something creatives and artists share is just that feeling so It's so easy to be discouraged when you feel like there's mil- literally millions of other people wanting to do what you do. um, you know, like I have friends who are musicians. It's like, it's like, it's hard for me to continue writing songs because he feels like it's so saturated. Like there are so many musicians or there's just so many writers and that can be discouraging. But once you find, once you shift that perception, like, yeah, what I do, somebody will appreciate and maybe might be willing to pay X amount for. Because you think about what makes you happy. You know, I think we all share We'll have a love for art in different capacities—music, or maybe visual art, or whatever, or, or movies. And it's like, what would the world be like without that? You know, what would the world, our lives, be without those movies we love, songs we listen to time and time again, pieces of art that inspire us? Um, and and there is a value, and, and just to remember that you are, as an artist or a creative, that you're contributing to that and to not be discouraged, because you will find your audience, you will find people, and you will get better, you know, it could be a matter of just being uh, committed and persevering, which is another thing we, as entrepreneurs and artists, need is that perseverance, like, I know people who didn't get their big break, so to speak, until they were 40, or even 50, you know, and they've been doing art since they were teenagers or children, Uh, same with us, I think maybe we've tried a lot of different things, like, I was—I've been writing for as long as I can remember, and I've never been able to make money writing. I used to blog, mu- do music blog. I used to write fiction. I never thought I could make money, and then lo and behold, the intersection of writing and personal finance became a thing, you know. And I was able to make a living, which is like—and some days I, I wake up despite like the the deadlines and the stress or whatever else the uh, existential crises you have alone working alone. It's like it's pretty amazing that. We get to do this. We have the opportunity to at least try, because ten years ago, twenty years ago, and I and I think you had mentioned this in that your podcast, or episode on uh, entrepreneurial. it seemed like an origin story kind of episode. Was was like it's so cool we have all these resources to uh, to do what we want and and to put out what we want.
2: It's like, thank you, Al Gore, whoever actually invented the internet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We'll attribute to Al Gore because he's a good guy, right? <laughs> Jackie, is there any, any parting words you want to leave to our audience, those who are artists and who are really resonating with what you're saying in terms of putting yourself out there? Is there any last parting words you want to say to them?
0: A uh, question. So I guess for people out there listening, whether you're an entrepreneur or you know. Or, an artist or a freelancer, I think, just to to start and to build what you want, um, because you have the capability to do that. To start and to build what it is you ultimately want to achieve, start today. Do something small, um, and you'll slowly find the resources. You'll find you'll start to develop the skills, craft, and also your people, your your powwow, your tribe, to help you get there. Because there's no better time to do it than now, and, and don't delay.
1: That's awesome. I love that of just getting started and it doesn't have to be full time to start, right? It doesn't have to be more than just um, that you love to do it and you start to see how to do that. Um, And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up. It's this expectation that if I'm truly a real artist or truly a real whatever, I have to do this full time. It has to look a certain way. And in that expectation, we can lose a lot of the joy and passion and excitement that comes with doing what we love. So that just really resonated with me of just get started, just start figuring it out and doing it. Don't go any further than that. Just take that first step. And from there, it'll become a lot more clear as to where you need to go from that point on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's it's really empowering when you take action and um, not worry about the results so much, but the process, which is something I think all creatives can worry can quibble over. It's like, I want it to be awesome. I want it to be amazing tomorrow. And it's like, okay, I just want to make something. I just want to have it be okay. You know, like just to just, just to start and because um, I, I don't know if you struggle with that. And it's been a long time for me. I think I did my first side gig about, ooh, 2010. I was proofing for some art magazine and that was my first real gig. And then fast forward four or five years later, I really started to write and make money. No, I think I made my first, got paid writing was in 2014. So it, it can take a while. And and people may think there's a misconception of I'm successful. I was successful overnight and no most people rarely are, as you as you know. I'll say yeah. if, they are, if they say They'll they are, they're lying. <laughs> right, right. They're total liars. <laughs> we will point at them and sneer and call them out on
2: it. Uh, <laughs> in the in like, the corner, not publicly, but in the corner. Yeah, that, yeah in their mind, you <laughs> <he> will.
1: <laughs> I love it. So take that. Take that first step and know that that is the first of many, many, many steps.
2: Thank you, Jackie. So where can we find you? Or, where, Not we. Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. They can
0: find me on my blog, heyfreelancer.com. Uh, and uh, just on the interwebs, if you just uh, Google my name, personal finance, you'll probably pop up some articles. I do, I do a lot of writing in that space. And I'm also on Medium, too.
2: Perfect. We'll link to some of the articles you wrote about artists in the show notes. Great, thank you.
1: Of course, no, it was super fun having you on. And thanks for having such a good, fun and deep conversation.
2: Yeah,
0: likewise, I really enjoyed my time.
2: Thank you so much for listening to today's interview with Jackie. We hope you got a lot out of it. And as always, we wanna leave you with a parting question. You can definitely reply to us uh, via email, hello at beyondthedollar.co or feel free to tweet us beyond dollar pod. So the question is, What is one thing you can do today to put yourself out there and ask for the value of your work? Again, please let us know via email or Twitter, and we look forward to getting your answers.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. And if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today, we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.